0: Hey everybody, it's your girl KC here. I'm so excited that you guys decided to tune in to my first official episode of Thriving with a Sprinkle of Depression. Today we're talking about vulnerability, to be or not to be. Um, So I just wanted to come on here and first off say that vulnerability has been a hot topic these days, you know, men being vulnerable and women being vulnerable. And even now they're talking about therapists and their mental health and them being vulnerable. So I wanted to come on and actually dive a little bit deeper into what we think vulnerability is. So I've gotten a question a lot of times, what does vulnerability look like to you? Um, And specifically for me, I never realized it until actually this new job that I have currently here in Atlanta, Georgia. Shout out to Atlanta. Um, I was in an emotional intelligence training and I didn't realize that sometimes my smiling or my laughing can be at the most awkward situation in the the worst time ever, right? And a lot of my friends or my coworkers, even some of my family will be like, why are you laughing? Why are you smiling? My answer is, I don't know. But in actuality, I'm uncomfortable. I feel like there's no other way for me to get out of this situation than to bring some sort of light to it. And my light would be, of course, smiling and laughing and giggling and all the things (laughs) that Crystal does. Um, So in this emotional intelligence course, uh, we got really deep. We spoke about things that made us uncomfortable, things that made us sad. One of my coworkers even got really emotional telling her story about a situation and I started to get uncomfortable. I described it to my life coach as I felt naked and I just needed to break away from that awkward situation, that awkward energy that was in the room. So a few things that I do when I'm awkward or when I feel that I am being too vulnerable, um, I laugh or I smile in awkward situations. I start to shake my leg, which I probably do more often than not. (laughs) Um, My heartbeat starts to race fast or I get like sudden amnesia. And sometimes it's not really, really amnesia. What it is, is I'm trying to forget it because I don't want the spotlight on me. Now, I want to backtrack uh, to something that I said, the phrase too vulnerable. I tell all my clients this. There is no such thing as being too vulnerable. Whatever your emotional depth is, whether it's very, very high or very, very low, that is something that is unique to you. So there is no such thing as just being too vulnerable, right? You, If you're a crier, that's just you. If you hold it in, but you let it out in other ways, singing or you know, punching it out while you're working out at, at, at the gym or something like that, then that's your emotional outlet. But there's no such thing at all as too vulnerable, right? Um, I remember situations just when I was younger or even just now when I see my mom cry or when I see like my dad cry, um, there's a different kind of feeling. When I see my dad cry, I begin to get emotional and I begin to start to cry myself, but I don't feel a sense of like, oh my God, I'm just stripped naked and everyone is looking at me and it's uncomfortable. But when I see my mom cry, I quickly try to toughen up, get myself together because I feel like my strength for my mom comes from me holding it together. Now, is that a bad thing? No. It's just the way that I was raised by my mother in the way that I was, you know, kind of raised with my father. Um, he's more emotional for sure. My mom is a little bit more contained. <laughs> um, so to see her cry and to see her get emotional or even vulnerable, even to this very day, sometimes it can rock me. And I'm just like, I don't know how to react to this all signs are leading to get out of here, like danger zone, danger zone. But with my dad, I'm just like, okay, I can kind of, I can kind of sit in this for a while. Um, And I think that just attributes to my mother's strength. She has always had to be strong. Um, There are many, many situations that she's been in, um, some that she probably doesn't know that I even know about, Uh, that she has had to just continue to portray or be the strong black woman, right? Um, One of the things (laughs) that I talk about in one of my classes that I teach at my job is the strong black woman or the strong black man narrative. Um, I had a client who came in class and she spoke about this and she said, I used to get this compliment or what people thought was a compliment of, you're so strong. And in my mind, before she started to continue the story, I was saying, well, that is a compliment. I think about that with my mom all the time. Like, she's so strong. I don't know how she did it. My grandmother, she's so strong. I don't know how she did it. And this young lady went on to say, you know, she explained how she basically had to be the mother as a child. In her household, She had to take care of her mom. Her mom had severe mental health issues. Um, some were addressed, some weren't. Um, and she had siblings who basically went off and just left her in the house with the mom. And she had to fend for herself. She had to be strong. She had to go out and work. She had to make sure that the household was together. She was superwoman of her household at a very young age. And she said this statement. She said... Um, I was strong because I had to be, not because I wanted to be. And y'all, I mean it hit me like a ton of bricks. <laughs> I had never heard anyone say a statement like that that was so real and so raw and so keyword vulnerable, right? Because a lot of people would hold on to that strong word because there is a sense of strength in that. But when you have had to be so strong for so long, at some point, you're just like, when is it my turn to just be weak? When is it my turn to just break down? When is it my turn to just not have to carry the load and carry the weight, right? Um, so I quickly thought about my mom and I'm just like, all the years that I have, I have said to myself, my mother is so strong. She did it all on her own. You know, she moved from the Bahamas, came to the States. She always tells a story about how kids were so cruel to her because she had a very thick accent when she first came over. And of course, anything new or different, just in the world in general, people are going to react in a weird way to it. And now, nowadays, you know, there there's more of... An, we're, we're in an accepting, more accepting world than we were back then, but... It was really tough for my mom. And she went through a series of different situations that resulted in her having to be strong or resulted in her having to kind of push the emotions away, push them down. You know, there were many, many things that I will not, um, I won't disclose because that's her story to tell. But what I can tell you as far as my story is, I rarely saw my mother, um, I rarely saw my mother kinda take a moment of just rest or where she was showing her weakness. My mother was always someone who was hustling. If she had to get two and three jobs to provide Christmas gifts for me and my sister, that's what she was gonna do. If she had to get on a bus to take me to school and then take take herself to work, that's what she was gonna do. If, you know, she had to supply something for me for college, pay off a a loan or something, or make sure that I had enough money to get my books or pay for classes for college, that's what she was going to do. And never a complaint, never a I can't do it. It's always like, okay, I'll get it. when When I have it, I'll do it. Or, okay, you'll have it by this date. And, you know, unbeknownst to me and my sister, my older sister... We just knew that whenever we needed something and it needed to get done effectively and in the correct order, Yvette Kemp was going to get it done. I never knew how, (laughs) but I knew that she was going to get it done. And I think that for years, I held on to my mother is such a strong black woman because it, it breeds strength. You know, when you hear that strong black woman, wow, she is so courageous and she's so mighty. She's my superhero. She's the one person that I'm going to go to because I know for beyond a shadow of a doubt that she is going to get it done. And my mother learned that from her mother because my grandmother went through some things through life. And what did my grandmother do? All that she had to do for the people she needed to do it for. So when I look back at my mom and then I look back at my grandmother, it, it you know, I can get emotional about it because yes, in my mind, they were strong. They were strong black women and they are still strong black women to this day. But I now understand that it wasn't always easy. It wasn't always something that was fun to do. It wasn't something that bred like, like life into them. They felt days when you know they wanted to just give up <laughs> recently i spoke to my mom you know i kind of had a moment of reflection <laughs> and i told her i said you know what i really appreciate you for dealing with me because i know I, I know just knowing who i am and who i was in school in grade school i wasn't the easiest to deal with i wasn't pleasant and i didn't make things easy for a single black mother with two children doing it on her own here in, well, back in South Florida. Um, I was rebellious to say the least, uh, very rude. Um, when I didn't get my way, there were things that I wanted to do places that I wanted to be people that I wanted to hang out with. And my mother, you know, being the smart woman that she is, she wanted a life for me that wasn't hard and wasn't tough. So, I went to, I called her one day, I think this was in my, within my first year of moving to Atlanta. And uh, I just told her, I'm like, were you never, you were never like tired or exhausted or just ready to give up. And she just took a deep breath and she said every day. (laughs) And I literally just, I mean, I could laugh about it now, but I can just literally understand like what power that took to come home. Well, let's re- rewind. To get up in the morning, make sure that both of your daughters are dressed and up and out of the house on time to get to school. Me and my sister are seven years apart. So, you know, my sister kind of, she's the older sister. So she had a little bit more of responsibility around the house. But regardless, my mother was always the mother of the house. So to make sure that We were both up and out of the house on time. You know, we had what we needed, either lunch money or breakfast or whatever it was. Um, Get me to school in Broward County and then get on the road, drive through traffic to go and work in one of the biggest hospitals in Miami, Florida, Jackson Memorial, every single morning. Get off of work. You know, make sure that I'm home before she even gets off work. Make sure I'm home and I'm safe. Make sure my sister's home and I'm safe. And then I actually make sure that I didn't leave the house and go anywhere <laughs> before my sister got home. And come home. Make sure I did my homework. Make sure my sister's good. Cook dinner. And then make sure that we get in into our beds and get everything that we need to get prepared for the next day. And then have maybe... 30 minutes, 45 minutes, an hour for her rest and get up and do it all over again. I don't think I've ever thought about the day in and day out of my mother's parenting as a single mother, right? Because you just, when you're in it, you don't think about it. You see a woman who is literally, in my eyes, thriving. She is literally thriving every single day. She's getting up and she's doing it. She's doing it well you know, soon after my sister's off to college, i don't know where or how <laughs> she got the money to to pay for my sister to go to college, you know. But she did it. My mother made sure. Wow, i don't know why i'm getting emotional. <laughs> well, i do know why, but i'm i'm surprised because i saw my mother make sure that my sister got through college. It was one point where I didn't even know until I graduated from college that my sister might have had to drop out because there was no money. There was no money to support the life that my mom needed to support myself and her and then a sister who's away at college. Um, but <laughs> she did it and she did it so well. Um And I think the first realization of maybe seeing my mom really kind of let her wall down and and be a little bit vulnerable and emotional was my sister's graduation. My sister graduated from uh, FAMU, shout out to the Rattlers, (laughs) Um, Florida Agricultural and Mechanical University for those who are not aware. Um, great HBCU in Tallahassee, Florida. My sister graduated with her degree in pharmacy. So she is a doctor, Dr. Kelly Farnell. Um, and at the graduation, you know, they call my sister's name. I'm sitting maybe like on the end, not next to my mom, but like there's two people in between my mom and I. And you know, they call my sister's name and I'm just overjoyed. I'm, I'm smiling. I'm happy. I'm like, yay, my sis did it. Good job, whatever. And I look over and my mom is bawling. Now this is probably the first real time that I've seen my mom really like show these emotions, but it was almost like thinking back on it now, it was almost like She was releasing, like she was like, wow, I did it, you know, and not even taking the glory for my sister's success and what my sister did in school. But she was, it was almost like she was telling herself, you did a great job raising this young woman. She is now a doctor (laughs) in pharmacy Struggled to make payments and make sure that she got through school, but it happened. You know, when my sister needed to come home, she had to get on those Greyhound buses. <laughs> and for those of you who know, Greyhound is, you know, it's Greyhound. I will just <laughs> say that. But to see my mom, you know, she she was overjoyed. And in the moment, I was uncomfortable because I'm like, dang, is she, you know... Why is she crying like this? This is a happy moment. Like, let's get happy. And I realized, like, I, I remember hearing my mom said, She did it, she did it, about my sister. And um now today I can realize that my mom is saying she did it, but in her heart, she's like, We did it. You know, because yes, my sister technically went through the classes and she did everything herself, but it was because of the strength that my mom probably didn't even want to have every single day that got her through. So um, I just I I take this moment as a small moment that is there is no moment big enough that I could take to to salute my mom, but I just want to take a moment to salute my mother, <laughs> Yvette Kemp, because she did things that I for me she is forever my superwoman. And um I just feel like it hadn't had it not been for her in the household really holding it down for me and my sister, I don't know where I would be. I don't know what kind of woman I would be. So, um I am just taking a moment for her and also for my sister Kelly. They are two of the women in my life who I look to, you know, outside of my grandparents and aunts. Um who really embody just black woman excellence in everywhere, every word, every way of the essence of that word. Um, they are just truly phenomenal. So I salute them to my very core. Um, but <laughs> yeah, so vulnerability in that sense, that was probably the first time that I really saw within my core, which, you know, my core is my mom, my dad, and my sister. Um, I saw anybody outside of really my dad kind of get vulnerable like that. It was just, it was new to me, but it was refreshing because I saw, you know, why my mother does cry and it is okay to have emotions, happy emotions and sad emotions, because these are real and true and raw emotions, the things that we are feeling, the things that sometimes we can't help but to just express, right? Right. So um, that was a moment, and I will forever keep that near and dear to my heart. I'll forever remember that moment in time. Um, I want to move forward to Taraji P. Henson because she is, I absolutely love her. She is a actress, of course, but she's also a very avid and active um, mental health advocate. And she now has an organization um, in her father's honor, the Boris Lawrence Henson Foundation. Um, And they really target mental health within the Black communities, making sure that the resources and the tools are out there for our people, right? And I I truly love that because she talks a lot about her... um, her realization with um, depression and anxiety, and even her father who dealt with um, bipolar um, disorder. And she talks a lot about um, her moments of being vulnerable in Hollywood, right? Taraji P. Henson explained that she had to realize that through her silence, she wasn't able to really be safe and be open and be real, not only with herself, but with her fans, her following, the other actresses and actors to come behind her. So she spoke on a lot of things that contributed to her depression, a lot of things that contributed to her anxiety, um, the difference in pay between a black actress and a white actress or or a white actor, right? Um, Some of the males in Hollywood, she talked about getting... uh, 50 I, I'm not a mathematician, but I think she said like 52 cents on the dollar, if that makes sense, that the white man got in Hollywood Um, and how she had so much pressure to be the best, to be better, to be in this box of someone that she truly didn't feel she needed to be until she finally found her voice to just speak up and really live in her truth and understand that when she acts and when she goes on stage and she does her performances, she does it with her whole heart, her whole mind, her whole body, her whole spirit, her whole soul. Um, And understanding that she knew that I have to believe in my work and my worth and understand that I have to advocate for myself. Um, And she just begins to definitely live in her truth and I think that that's so commendable to Taraji because you know there are some actors and some performers and some celebs who you know act activism for them can be just doing it the wrong way and there's a way to do something and there's a place and there's also a time right and I want I will say that Taraji has done a great job with um, advocating for not only mental health for blacks in the community, but also advocating for blacks within her field of work, her career, making sure that she is not only respectful, but she is also heard because she understands that these are the things that will elevate you. Being proactive, speaking up, but also understanding that there's a respect level and there's a way to do certain things. And that is how you earn the respect and that or not that's how you gain the respect that you want by giving it. And, you know, um, even if you have to peacefully protest, Taraji has never been one that is ever I've never seen anything um in the media of her ever being out of line or disrespectful. And if it ever is anything that she has to stand up for, she's doing it the right way so that her word and her uh passion doesn't really go to the wayside. So um, I just want to say shout out to Taraji. I just wanted to do a celeb spotlight, just like I did a family spotlight with my mom and my sister. Um, I want to move on to some questions (laughs) that I found. um, So this will be called our vulnerable Q&A time, right? Um, So the first question is, name one harshest comment you've received. Um, the harshest comment I've ever received has to be, um, I think the harshest comment that I've ever received is probably, mm, it probably was to myself, like from myself to myself, which is, um... I cringe when I when I say this out loud because when I, if I ever hear any of my clients ever say this, um, I probably would go off on them in a, in a nice way. <laughs> but um, I have an ex-boyfriend that I thought was gonna be my forever um, and in the midst of what was just confusion and heartache and all of the things, um, I tried to hold on to the relationship so bad. And I told myself at one point, I said, you need to fix this. You have to make sure that this works because he is as good as you're going to get. And I think that came from years of just feeling inadequate in my looks. Um, there are a lot of, you know crushes that I've had in the past even when I was in school that just really didn't make me feel beautiful. And because they didn't make me feel beautiful, I didn't I didn't try to make myself feel beautiful. I literally just went with the flow of the things that I felt in school. So I grew up, you know, went through middle school, went through high school, went through college, and then grad school and then now in my adulthood and I literally said that to myself. I, I told myself, like, he's as good as you're going to get. So you got to keep this man. And I found myself literally in a whirlwind of just almost begging him to stay or begging him, like, what can I do? You know, how can I fix this? How can we make sure that this is something that is going to stick? Um, I think that it took everything in me to not continue to do it at one point. I had to really get fed up with giving 100% and receiving the bare minimum in return. Um, And it was in those moments where I really realized, Crystal, it's not other people who are going to be the detriment of you and who you are and the person that you want to be in the future. It really is who you believe you are. If you believe you're not good enough, then no one in the world can say anything else that's going to change that idea of you. Um, So I really had to step in and hone in on my own beauty, my own success, my own just understanding of how boss I am. Like I'm just a dope person. And um, I really had to start to believe that. And really live that out and understand that anyone who wants to pass up on your magic and your goodness doesn't understand it. And they don't even need to be in your life. So um, I've been walking in that light and continuing to um, love on myself in that way. Because if you don't love on yourself the way that you want others to love on you, then you'll never know how to tell those people, this is the way I want to be loved, right? Or this is the way I need to be respected or this is the way I need to be approached or treated or whatever, um, you know, what whatever you need to say to that person. So I think that definitely was the harshest comment I've ever received was one that I said to myself, right? Um, next question is what worries you the most at this very moment? Um, I think the one thing that worries me the most is the feeling of being inadequate, um, inadequate in my career, um, inadequate to my family, um, inadequate to friends and then inadequate within, um, a relationship. Uh, and I think I, I, I recently learned that my fear of failure comes from f- me failing at something. And then the realization that I am inadequate at that very thing. Um, because I've had so many thoughts in my mind that that really circle around, Crystal, if you fail at this, you are proving to yourself that you were never good enough to do this. You were never good enough to be a part of this friend, friend group. You were never good enough to be in this career field. You were never good enough to be in this relationship. You were never good enough to be a part of this family lineage. Um, those are thoughts that Um, probably, you know, they, they've consumed a lot of my, um, my mind and my thinking and they've stopped me from doing a lot of things that I probably should have done or gotten done years ago. But with that thought (laughs) continuing to circle and swirl around in my head at times, um, it definitely has made it hard on me for sure. It's an everyday battle. I will just tell you that. There are some days when I still think, ooh, Crystal, you might not be good enough for that. But I have to be intentional. One of my favorite words, being intentional about the things that I pour into myself, the things that I feed to myself. What am I eating? What am I letting sink into my brain? What music am I listening to that's feeding into that narrative? What podcasts? what speakers what friends, what family, what words, what encouragement am I letting into my space that contributes to the thought of Crystal, you are inadequate, you are less than, you are not good enough, you are useless, you are useful? These are all words that have toyed with my mind, my thinking, my self esteem over the years. And, um, you know, which even led me at one point into one of the deepest depressions I think I have ever sunken into, which I'll talk about, um, in a later episode with you all. Um, so that is probably one thing that worries me the most is, you know, when those thoughts start to swirl around, I have to make sure that I'm actively working against those thoughts so that I don't get into a place of walking in fear, right? Walking in survival mode and not thriving in my own right, right? Understanding that crystal, you're here for a reason. There's purpose with every breath that you take. There's a reason why you're at the job you're at. There's a reason why you're in the state you are. There's a reason why you have the people in your circle, or in your life right now. There's a reason for it all. So um what worries me about that is, you know, when I get those thoughts and when they come over me that it will be hard for me to Myself out of what I call the sunken place, um, but I have put many, many things in place to um, contribute that, i.e., therapy. I also have a mindset coach, um, Kenny B Speaks. He is amazing. I recommend him to anyone who is looking to just change your mindset. Um, I also have friends who pour into me and I pour into them the way that they need it and they know the way that I need it. I have family and friends who check in on me daily. My mother, and my sister, if they don't hear from me once a day, they are calling, blowing up my phone. You know, my dad, every time I speak to him, he is encouraging. I mean, so much more than I could ever ask any man in my life to do, um, and then I have professors and, you know, older influences in my life who definitely uh, play a major role in encouraging me and pouring into me the way that I feel is best. So um, those, are, those are some things that help me in those times when I am worrying about being inadequate or thinking that I am inadequate in any way. Um, last question is, have you lied about anything and Why? So, I will clue you guys into something that I probably would have never admitted, maybe even two years ago. Um, I used to be, or let me say it like this, I am a recovering liar. <laughs> I used to just lie about anything and everything, to my mother, to my sister, sometimes to my father, friends, boyfriends. I just felt like, number one, I wanted everyone to, I wanted every. I wanted to please everyone. That was one thing. I didn't want to disappoint anyone. So when I did make a mistake, I felt like the only way to get out of this was to lie about it, especially to my dad. Um, there were some moments where I had to lie to my mom out of fear. You know, when I did something that I wasn't supposed to be doing and I needed to get out of it, I just didn't, number one, I didn't want to get in trouble. I didn't want to hear her yell. And I just didn't want to admit that I I was going around sneaking and doing things that I shouldn't be doing. So I used to, yes, lie like nobody's business. Um, I will say that in current days, I don't feel the need to lie anymore. And I will tell you why. I believe that I am starting to... Living my truth, which is understanding that I am not perfect, and that is a narrative that has swirled in my in my mind and in my life for years, having to be perfect and having to live a perfect life and make sure that everyone sees this perfect persona. Um I now understand that um perfection is the perfect lie. And Taraji P. Henson said that. She said her therapist gave her that quote, and she said, once her therapist gave her that her life changed. And when I heard that from Taraji, it was it was life-changing. Perfection is the perfect lie. And once I heard and understood that, it kind of triggered something in me to understand that, Crystal, your perfectionism or lack thereof is not going to stop anyone from loving you any more any less like that if they if they stop loving you because you're not quote-unquote perfect then maybe they never loved you in the first place um you know there are so many different songs I can think of like Beyonce has a song about flaws Kiera Sheared has a song about flaws and really living in those things and I think even for me just from a biblical standpoint understanding that the understanding that there is one person one God who is perfect and that is truly our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He is the one and only perfect uh, person. And I have to understand that in his image, I am made perfect and through him. But I still have my flaws, right? In the human realm, in, the, in the, the flesh, I am imperfect as they come. And I think being able to really understand that even in my flaws, I am still worthy I am still just meant to be in this royal priesthood. I am meant to be living in this royal land, the royalty that God has birthed me into. Um I think understanding that it makes it much easier to just lead with the truth. Even if it, you know, may hurt you to tell somebody the truth, sometimes it's just like Hey, I got to tell you this. I don't know how it's going to make you feel, but this is the truth. And however they move after that is the way that they're going to move, right? <laughs> so um, I just truly believe that those were probably the founding reasons why I felt like I had to lie. I felt like I wanted to just be something that I wasn't. And, you know, I'm 29 now. I'll be 30 in four months. Woo, Um, and there is something so freeing about just being open and honest with someone, especially someone that you love and having them accept you even through that imperfection, even through that flaw. It's something so beautiful about them loving you in spite of, um, that I just now hold so tightly to. Um, and I think that's why I lead with just open, honest, and transparent conversations. Because once I am free from that bondage, I no longer have to keep up this persona. I no longer have to live up to the mask that I'm constantly wearing, right? Constantly portraying. So, um, I'm, I'm happy to be delivered from lying. (laughs) I'm happy to be free from the bondage of lying. I'm truly happy. And, um, I just want to continue to live in that that right. Um so I hope you guys have enjoyed this first official episode of Thriving with a Sprinkle of Depression. <laughs> um I hope that you come back. I hope that you sh- send this out to a friend, a loved one, a family member, a stranger let them just listen and truly just hear my heart in each and every episode and um, get excited about the special guests that I have coming on in the future. Um, And like my my good friend Danny says, you can find this podcast on all the fruits and veggies, (laughs) Apple uh, Podcasts, um, Spotify, and so many other um, platforms. Please, please, please make sure that you are always checking on yourself and your mental health daily and loving on yourself the best way possible. I hope y'all have the greatest day and make someone smile. See y'all later.